This is where Hollywood hides. Chicken joke! I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. Baby, you're the great. Welcome to Where Hollywood Hides, the home of classic TV, movies, music, and celebrities. You'll find us on the web at wherehollywoodhides.com and on iTunes. My name is Bob McCullough. And my name is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. And this is podcast episode number 10. Congratulations. Thank you. We made it to 10. We've come a long way. We've beat the odds. Most podcasts don't make it past 9. And how is that determined? Well, there are metrics that are available when you uh, are working with iTunes, and they'll tell you exactly how many downloads you're getting. It's a lot of pressure now. It is. I feel responsible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. If you go to our website at wherehollywoodhides.com, you'll see in the upper right-hand corner of every page uh, a little kind of a, an icon link. If you click on that, you'll get a free audiobook download from audibletrial.com slash wherehollywoodhides. They have over 100,000 titles to choose from. Any book you can think of, you can get on like books on tape. Now you can get them as a digital download for your iPhone, your Android, Kindle, MP3 player, whatever. Burn it onto a CD. But the point is, these things are worth about 15 bucks a piece, and you get one for free just for clicking on that link. So just encourage all of our listeners to do that because it's kind of a fun value. So... The Academy Awards. They've come and gone. What do you think? Well, I think that Argo came from behind. There was obviously some very well-orchestrated campaign to kind of pose your boyfriend, Ben Affleck, as the victim of the nomination process. not my boyfriend. Well, you've talked about him a lot. I just thought he got a little cheated. And if you go to our website, we'll see an awful lot of postings you put up about Ben. Well, you won't see pre- Ben. You don't. You won't see Ben anymore. You won't have him to kick around. It's over. Okay. All right. But my point is, there was obviously a well-orchestrated strategy to get Argo really up there uh, in terms of. Uh, I think the public had picture. a lot to do with it. You think so? Yes. There was an outrage that he wasn't nominated for Best Director. I just think there was so much press on it that they were forced to to talk about it a little bit more. I, I, I always thought that he had a really good chance winning the uh, Best Picture. I think one of the reasons it really did win is that you know the Academy group, voting group is a little bit older, and they like a real story with a beginning, middle, and end, and they like attractive people, and certainly Ben qualifies. Uh, and they like a Hollywood ending, and that movie had it all. I have a couple things to say about the Academy Award. Sure. I know it's just... It's considered the greatest show on earth, and I can only imagine what it must be like to organize something like that. Which I want to make a little shout out to a high school classmate of mine, Hawk Koch, the president of the Academy. He produced that show. Uh, well, he hired the producers, but he oversaw everything. So, so if, I, if I have any complaints, I can talk to him, right? We can send Hawk an email. Exactly. Oh, great. Well, you know, I just picked up a, a, a quote that said that Seth MacFarlane said he will never, ever do the Academy Awards again. I really? think because what? it's, well, he got pretty scrutinized. With, well, he was a little edgy. But they're never happy. I think a lot of women were upset that he because was kind of... Because of the boob thing? Yeah, when he was a little misogynistic, you know, he had a lot of... Uh, He's a of, comedian. He had a lot of sexist remarks. It's a joke. But I was a female. I didn't get offended. I think he did a fairly good job. I think it's a 
thankless job. That's for sure. I also have a big complaint. Why didn't they have ushers escorting these lovely ladies in their high heels and their dresses up the stairs? You're talking about the Jennifer Lawrence. Well, that's why she fell. She didn't have any help. That was crazy. You'd think they'd at least have a, I don't know, a handrail, anything. I'm just surprised more didn't fall because the heels, as we speak, are getting taller. Yeah. And let's face it, the Academy Awards is not just about winning. That's a very small part. It's about fashion, whether you like it or not. True, true. There's a huge industry about fashion and the Academy Awards. Anyway, I just thought it was kind of crazy that they didn't. I'm sure they had these ushers, but not there for some reason. Yeah, it's and a, it's weird. It's not like it's a big budget item. I think somebody just screwed up the logistics of that maybe, evening. Maybe, maybe. But Jennifer Lawrence did a great job. At she took just, a real fall. At just brushing it off, and she was kind of edgy. And if that had happened to anybody else over 30... Oh, for sure. They would have been traumatized. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it helps to be 22 when you fall downstairs. Also, something I, I noticed in the Academy Awards during the um, red carpet and afterwards... Uh-huh. There's quite a few celebrities promoting their vineyards. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought that was kind of strange to do it during the red carpet hour. But Everybody's marketing, yeah. Now, is there a write-off for that? For mentioning it on the Academy no, Awards? No, for having... Oh, for sure. It, a, huge, a huge tax thing. You get a lot of tax benefits when you're in agriculture, even if you're losing oh, money. Oh, it's considered agriculture. Absolutely. Well, some of the uh, celebrities that have vineyards is Dan Aykroyd, Antonio Banderas, Drew Barrymore, Madonna, Johnny Depp, Sting. So where do we find their wine? I never Angelina see their wine. Angelina Jolie. Are they actually making any wine or are they just writing off expenses? Well, from what I understand, they partner up with somebody who is in the business. I mean, the only celebrity that whose wine we've bought is uh, Francis Coppola's. Right. So... As I read, um, they partner up with someone who is in the business. Maybe mm. they are the money. There's no business like the wine business. Exactly. Right. A couple other things. I heard Barbara Walters will be returning next week to The View. Oh, that's right. She, she took a fall, too. No, yeah. she had the chicken pox. Oh, God. It's taken this long to get over the chicken pox? Oh, sure. She's, oh, nasty. She's older. Nasty. Today, guess whose birthday it is? It was in I Love Lucy. Of course, everyone who was on there is dead. I was going to say Desi Arnaz. No. Fred Mertz. Yes. William Frawley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, he was, was great. He was in over 100 films. And, wow. of course, I only know of him from Lucy. I Love Lucy yeah. and Miracle on 34th Street he was on. He, if you look at the old I Love Lucy episodes, you'll see how much dialogue he and Ethel actually carried in that show. Desi just came in and was outrageous and he was good flamboyant. Too, yeah, yeah. Those were great shows. Lucy really made that work. Those were great shows. It, yeah. They were so great that she wound up buying half of Paramount Studios. So they were very successful. You don't see a lot of uh, sitcoms with that kind of power anymore. You would think that the Latino actor would have come a long way from that. He would. He would. He was one, one he was of the, the only. He was the only that I can think from of what the, I read, from the uh, 50s and 60s. From what I read, uh, Lucille Ball really shoved him down. The uh, network's Their throats. throats, yeah. yeah. But and, you know, it, and, and it worked. Well, you know, I worked at Paramount when they were doing the last version of I Love Lucy, the Lucy show. Mm-hmm. And Desi was on the lot then. And he was very, very well regarded. He was something of a creative genius in that the whole three-camera system for shooting half-hour sitcoms on a stage, he created that three-camera system so that they could just shoot the entire episode straight through with no cuts, no stops. Oh, he sounds like a bright guy. Incredibly. 
So wrapping up the Academy Awards. um, So are you happy with who won for Best Actor, Best Actress? I was happy that Ben got his due. Yeah, I didn't think Bradley Cooper would get Best Actor just because... He's so new. Well, there were so many other films, although um, that movie is one of my all-time favorites, for sure. But Daniel Day-Lewis won a third time. He actually made a funny speech about that. Was I happy? It was okay. It was okay. I'm just thrilled that nobody else fell. I can't get that out of my mind. <laughs> You've had nightmares about I, mean, I literally cringed. Falling. But the Academy Awards were, were fun to look at, as usual. So what are we going to talk about today, Bob? Well, I, I my one of my very close brushes with uh, awards and uh, major celebrity fame was when I left Falcon Crest, went with CAA, and they brought me over to the Aaron Spelling Organization. And as I touched upon earlier, Aaron Spelling's operation over at the Goldwyn Studios on Formosa and Santa Monica in, in the heart of Hollywood was something to behold. I do remember the very first time I walked into Aaron's office, I couldn't believe it was the size of a couple of tennis courts. One man in an office that size. The thickest carpet, the biggest desks. He had two actual living room areas in the office space. There was a large fireplace. And there was the largest aquarium I'd ever seen. I think I described it to you when I came home. I was kind of blown away. You're pretty impressed. It's this huge, it was six foot in diameter, a glass hemisphere that stuck out of the wall. And he had the biggest fish in it. So I guess that means he was pretty successful. He was the most powerful producer in Hollywood at the time. You know, he'd come from... Want to name some of the uh, shows? Oh, gosh. Uh, Charlie's Angels was the big hit at the time. It's uh, Mod Squad? The Mod Squad was his first, right? The Love Boat. That was huge. I was in a few of those. Uh, Dynasty. Well, Dynasty was really the the grandfather of nighttime soaps. Boy, that was good in terms of ridiculous nighttime soaps. Yeah. That was so good. Aaron's whole thing to draw audience was to get the very biggest stars possible in every show. And The Love Boat was really the very first of his ensembles with lots of guest cast. And he used that formula throughout the rest of his many, many series. He would always bring in huge stars, basically. People who maybe weren't working, who needed a gig, who had a lot of cachet, just as we did on Falcon Crest with Lana Turner. Aaron was the kind who would bring in Joan Collins Last for Dynasty. Casting. Yeah. Well, he was responsible for having more than, uh, let's see, it says uh, over 200 television series and movies in his career. Yeah. That's no. a lot. He's the world's, open the Guinness Book of World Records. He's in it. He's the leading guy. He's the leading television producer of all time. So do you know how he started? He was an actor. I think he was born and raised in Texas. I'm, I'm only recalling this because I remember he actually told me because I asked him when I, a second or third meeting I had with him before I ever got hired. I said, how did you do this? And he told a story about a, a kind of a, a poverty-ridden childhood in Texas he was very scrawny, picked on a lot, had a lot of psychosomatic issues. I remember him telling a story about himself when he was like eight or nine years old. Some bullies picked on him, and he literally could not walk for the next two weeks. He was in bed, and his parents thought he had polio. So sad. But he was a very sensitive guy, which may be where his creative side came from. Ultra-sensitive guy, to the point where when he had a show that failed, he would be back in bed for a week. You always said that. Yeah, he literally fell sick if he had any failures of any kind. So he was an actor? Yeah, he was an actor. And then I, I read that he sold his first script, because he was a writer as well. Yeah, this is really kind of a come-around story. Yeah. To Jane Wyman. To presents. Jane Wyman, yeah. And I had just come off of Jane Wyman's hit series, Falcon Crest, 
and reported to work at Aaron Spelling. So he had a lot of Jane Wyman stories to share with me. And he felt a lot of gratitude to her, even though the show was hers in name and she wasn't really hiring the writers. But he felt a real connection there. Maybe that's what helped me get me the job. I don't know. Well, he didn't know that before, did he? Yeah, he knew I'd come from her show. Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, I see. For sure. He guest starred in uh, some I Love Lucy shows. Really? Dragnet, yeah. No kidding. I don't ever remember him as an actor, but... Well, he was probably, um, what's the, he probably he, didn't stand out much. He said he was really ta- typecast. And he was a very small guy, not handsome at all. Right. He said because of his smallness and his bulging eyes, he was cast as um, perverts and, yeah, right. yeah. and gamblers. And, yeah, he was know. kind of a mousy-looking right. man. It's amazing that he went to writing and then he went to producing. A very bright guy. He actually married Carolyn Jones, the actress. Well, he, he was married three times. Yeah, yeah. And he and Carolyn Jones were married for quite a while. I know he always had a great affection for her. But he was a he was a very busy guy when I showed up. So they brought me under contract as a writer-producer-developer, meaning bring them ideas, put new shows on the air, uh, be creative. And I got an office that was a third the size of his, but it was, you remember it? It was like an you apartment. You had a big office. I had a great office. It had a kitchen. It had a, my own bathroom. It had a sitting area. I had couches and tables. And, and you had a very pretty secretary. I had a very pretty secretary. Do you remember her name? I know you do. Mary Jo Lasso. That's right. And she was terrific. Uh, she yes. was very helpful because she knew the ins and outs and the politics of the spelling organization. And she, she was very nice. She was a, a great secretary. I think that was the only pretty secretary you ever had. <laughs> the only one you let me have. That's right. right. <laughs> So one of the wonderful things that happened to me was that, and I don't really know why I got picked for it, but one day Aaron called me into his office and Duke Vincent, his right-hand man, and Doug Kramer, his other partner, were in the office and they handed me a book that had a lavender cover that I'd never seen before. And Aaron said, would you mind reading this? We're thinking about making this into a TV movie. So you were hired and under contract just for them to do whatever they want with you. Yep, yep. There and was no a, a series attached to... No, come up with ideas, pitch them, mm-hmm. see if we can get something on the air. If you remember, I, I, I created a concept called Beverly High because I had gone to Beverly Hills High School, which I thought was a very unique experience. And I remember the kids and the parents and the teachers were just... Everybody was unique. And I pitched that to Aaron's development people. And they said, oh, well, you know, it's it's a little juvenile for us. They hadn't done Melrose Place yet. So... Uh, you know, maybe something a little more adult like Dynasty Bob. So they sent me off to rework things. And of course, after I'd left the spelling organization a couple of years later, out comes Beverly Hills 90210. Well, that's, that's the way, the way it the, goes. That's the way the business so is. So were you the only one under contract like that? I think was so. Was there like a whole bunch no, of... No, I was the only one who didn't have a show. I wasn't producing an active show for them. So you were the upcoming guy. I was kind of the upcoming guy. And, and uh, so it, it was you, a nice position to be in. So you... You read Hollywood Wives. So I read the book called Hollywood Wives, written by Jackie Collins, who was the sister of Joan Collins, who was starring in Dynasty. And that's how Aaron got his hands on the book. Uh, Jackie Collins had done a number of books prior to that, which became pretty serious bestsellers because she had her finger on the pulse of what women like to read. And they like to read about glamour and sex and power and intrigue. It was long before uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Long before, but had a lot of them. No, I haven't read that yet. Well, maybe you should. Well, maybe you should get it for me. I think let's go to audible.com and get it as a download. No. You can listen to it while we're driving around. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but anyway, Jackie Collins had written this book, and Aaron said, would you read it and tell me what you think? 
I read it. It was very compelling, kind of hard to put down sort of a thing. It was a story about the wives of movie stars and producers and directors in Hollywood and how the wives are really the ones who pulled the strings in their husbands' careers. And interwoven with that was the story of a young actor trying to come back from having having a short career in pornography and trying to become legitimate. And his evil twin, who had been uh, kind of shoved aside back in the Midwest and winds up killing his parents and then traveling back to Hollywood to find his true mother. Uh, so that was a little, what's the word? Uh, it was a little mechanical plot device, but it kind of drove the story. And so, so tell me, do you remember the cast? Some of the cast. So, so uh, first, I want to tell you my, my initial meeting with Jackie Collins. Oh, because she had to approve. I forgot me. you met her. Yeah, she had to approve me. She was like creative consultant or something. Like well, that. she was the author of the book. She owned the property, so Aaron had to be darn sure she was happy. And I went to her home up on North Hillcrest Road and sat with her for a couple of hours, and she was fabulous. We had a great time drinking white wine and talking about her. Of so course, it was great. It was a lot of fun. You know, she's still. She's very active. She has a she's new still book very out. Very active. Yeah, but she was a, just a. I don't know. To me, I don't mean this in a sexist way. She was a great gal and very flamboyant Mm -hmm. and had the Sarah Palin hairdo and uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, So it was a kind of a glamorous uh, environment in every in every way. And when I got back to the office, Aaron said to me, well, whatever you did, you did the right thing because she loves you and we want you to write the script. So I, we began talking about the script, and it turned out they wanted a five-hour miniseries out of this one book. Very unusual. But because of the n- nature of the property and Aaron's leverage, he convinced the, stu- the, the network into giving him a five-hour commitment. That's so a lot of writing. It's a lot of writing, but when he, there were a lot of, lot of characters in the book. And, so who would you cast? Well, ultimately, they cast people like Candace Bergen, Joanna Cassidy, uh, Mary Crosby, who was very hot at the time, Angie Dickinson, one of the perennial favorites from the 60s. Steve Forrest, who was kind of a big deal at the time. Roddy McDowell was in it. And Stephanie Powers, who was considered the miniseries queen. And the young Suzanne Summers was cast in the show, uh, as well as old-timers like Robert Stack, uh, as I mentioned, Steve Forrest. And the man they chose to produce the show to get this kind of a cast was somebody who's, who was very, very well known at the time, Howard W. Koch. And he had been a Hollywood staple for years. And it's his son, Hawk Koch, who just uh, was involved in, in last right. week's Academy Awards. So uh, having grown up in Beverly Hills, I knew Howard Koch a little bit because his son and I went to high school together. And when I walked in the room, it was like old home week. And the fascinating thing was, for me, his offices were back on the Paramount lot where I had started with Mission Impossible and Mannix. And he sat in the office once occupied by Al Ruddy, who had produced The Godfather. And it was a very distinctive office. Unlike Spellings, it wasn't huge, but it was actually a large conference room. And he had a large conference room table in the office with a dozen chairs sitting around it. It was like, we're always going to have a fancy dinner. I spent probably a month with Howard going through the script line by line once it was written. And we talked about casting. And I said, you know, this... This particular character would be great for somebody like, if we could ever get Rod Steiger to be great. That afternoon, Rod Steiger walks in the office because Howard Koch picked up the phone and called him. So I got to sit with... That's, got, that's Hollywood power. Yeah, and Rod Steiger had won the Academy Award for In the, in the Heat of the Night. I mean, these are powerful, powerful actors. And um, uh, kind of an unknown Welch actor at the time. Nobody would really heard of. 
And Howard said, you got to meet this guy. I think he'd be great to play the part of the director. That was Anthony Hopkins, who today is, today he's Sir Anthony Hopkins. Right. So we had people like that on the show. Uh, and Andrew Stevens, who was kind of a young heartthrob, kind That's of a right. daytime soap opera nice star. So Andrew came in and he actually read for us. And he was a very engaging, great guy. He got to play two roles. He played his good twin and the bad twin. He was kind of the driving dramatic force of the whole piece. So his casting was was very important. And then Howard and I were talking about music and things like that, what kind of music we wanted. And I told him, well, the best TV music I'd ever heard was written by Lalo Schifrin, the guy that did Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible. Yeah. Right. So he picks the phone up. Lalo Schifrin comes in. And we have conversations with him. And then there's a long list of talent that came in that was not cast. People like Engelbert Humperdinck. Could Tom Jones ever come in? Tom Jones. That was my mother's favorite. Oh, my Actually, goodness. we had a conference call on a speakerphone with Tom Jones. Love his accent. And um, you name them, they came in that office for the two-month period. and we got, That we must sat, have been fun. It was crazy. We had every, I swear to God, everybody but Elvis Presley came through that office, and he wow. was dead. But it was, it was a lot of fun and a great experience for me as a kind of a young writer-producer to uh, have that kind of entree to these these phenomenal talents. So um, I remember we were in, we bought our house in Santa Barbara and it was rather empty. And you started writing. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a long process. I mean, five hours, you don't write in five weeks. Took me about, what, two and a half months, day and night. I just remember you uh, never looked up. And that's that's pre-computers. I was working on a typewriter too. But, That's right. But it was a it was a great creative challenge, which I enjoyed because I got to kind of control how the story really went and which characters flourished. And so, did you have to do how many rewrites did you have to do? Probably ten or twelve. Wow. Well, first you have to make sure Aaron's happy with it, and he was really the consummate judge because he himself is a writer, and Duke Vincent was a really good writer. So when they gave me notes, I took them to heart and implemented most of them. Then we, of course, in those days, the network had a lot of say about what went into a script and standards and practices, and we're dealing with sexy stuff going on here. Especially and, for those days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of infidelity in the Hollywood wives. Ooh, imagine for that. Sure, for sure. But um, the interesting side note, once we started shooting, and I may be jumping ahead now, a little bit. Who's the director? The director was an English guy named Robert Day. And I don't know what his problem was, but he thought he was the auteur. And the auteur was really Jackie Collins and Aaron Spelling, let's face it. I was just the conduit for them. And Robert Day thought that he was running things. And he came into the casting process a little late because Howard Koch and I had sat and met with so many people for so long. When Once we started shooting, I was on the set. And who do the actors generally go to when they have issues with the script or their dialogue or their characterization? The writer. If they can find the writer, they want to talk to the writer to find out what the intent was. Robert Day was so jealous. He turned to Howard Koch at one point and said, I'm not going to shoot another frame until you get him out of here. He thought I was a distraction and wow. trying to control his show. And I was just trying to be collaborative and help the guy. But he was a little, what's the word? He was kind Tem- of a... Sh- temperamental. Temperamental, threatened. You know, I'm glad he was there because dealing with some of those personalities had to be difficult at some point. But, you know, with pros like Candace Bergen and Joanna Cassidy, who were really consummate actresses and, and good personalities and just good people off camera, it was kind of easy to see how the show became such a hit. So locations, where'd you shoot this? Well, the show was supposed to take place in Hollywood, of course, uh-huh. and Beverly Hills. We did a lot of location scouting, a lot of big homes in Beverly Hills, but a tough place to shoot. And the houses really are kind of close together in Beverly Hills. 
So we wound up going to Pasadena, where the mansions are a little bit more spread out. There's more room between them. There's better parking. And we wound up shooting most of the show in Pasadena and on the sound stages at Spelling Studios. And they built some magnificent sets. The ballrooms and the interior of these homes was a big, big deal. At the end of the day, the miniseries was a uh, three-parter. It was. It became the most watched television serialized show in history and really outranked Dynasty at the time. They were actually considering making a weekly series out of the show, but they discovered that the cast was not going to return for the same money. Suddenly, everybody wanted more money. Of course. And the budget can have a, a huge effect on things. But uh, the show was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Film Editing at the time because the editing was crucial because there were so many scenes and so many things going on at the same time, lots and lots of cuts that had to all dovetail together. But I do remember the premiere of the show, if you remember the parties, kind of the, the real Hollywood scene. Very Hollywood. You, you, talk about, you talk about Academy Award gowns and fashions. Nolan Miller was really one of the co-stars of that show because right. he was the fashion designer for Aaron Spelling and for Dynasty. And I think just the beaded dress budget on the show exceeded a couple hundred thousand dollars. And of course, if you dress Candace Bergen in a certain fashion, well, Joanna Cassidy has to match that. And Mary Crosby has to look you good. Yeah, I, I could have been in that show, too. You could have, I suppose. Yes, I was almost, almost famous if I was going to be put in that show. Uh, yeah. What happened there? You were busy having babies. You, that's your answer for everything. Well, I, the show, I wasn't pregnant every year. No, but the show came out in 85, and we had a two-year-old. So we were so? pretty busy. We were pretty busy. Yeah, well, I could have been in that show. You could, you actually, I could have and would have. You could have and would have. Okay. God knows we got everybody else in the show. Howard would have done that favor for us for sure. You could have probably had a good part. You didn't think of it. Well, maybe you needed to push yourself. Where was your agent? Come on. I had a few. I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> right. At any rate, it was a, a real glamorous uh, Hollywood experience. I do remember Anthony Hopkins at that time was drinking, and we had to put his dialogue up on cue cards and paste them on people's foreheads so that when he was doing a scene, doing the reverses, he'd be able to get his dialogue out. Um, I think he was really just kind of horrified at the material that he was doing because it was a little sleazy. It wasn't classic. It wasn't Shakespeare. I I do remember the reviews in TV Guide, which I hope you'll put up on the website. I will, I will. Well, you know, uh, Howard Roseman of uh, TV Guide, or LA Times, he gave, a I think, a fairly uh, fair review. He said... It's sleazy material, and it's a sleazy show, and you can't stop watching it. And that's the whole purpose of what we were sure, doing. We we're trying sure. to create entertainment. Of course. We weren't doing... Well, it's, you know, it's not comparable, but it's along the lines of the Kardashians. Everybody likes to oh, exactly. bash them. During dinner, everybody exactly. says, you know, they don't watch it. They, they don't understand what anyone would. Nobody admits to watching it, but it's a huge hit. I just want to take a moment right now, uh, just as a reminder to our growing audience of listeners, be sure to check out our website at www.wherehollywoodhides.com for show notes, photos, and the latest in showbiz news. Please click on to our Amazon banner and take full advantage. It'll take you directly to the world's biggest online shopping mall. So whatever you're looking for, from books, movies, any kind of supplies, it's at amazon.com. And the links at wherehollywoodhides.com are the quickest way to do your shopping. So after Hollywood Wives, how, how did that end? It, it had good ratings. It was a huge hit, and uh, Spelling then gave me a bunch of other projects to uh, write and produce, 
including dark mansions, which we can talk about next time, and uh, International Airport, starring George Kennedy, and another all-star cast, including one of your favorites, Bill Bixby. I was in that. You were in that, and I want to talk to you about that next time. Okay, sounds good. So for now, wrapping up episode 10 of Where Hollywood Hides. This is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. And Bob McCullough. Reminding everyone to go to our website at wherehollywoodhides.com, where you'll find all kinds of show notes and links to great photos and news headlines, as well as classic notes that deal with the then and now of all things showbiz. And while you're there, click on any image or Amazon link for the best deals on the internet, whether you're looking for the Hollywood Wives DVD set or any number of celebrity collectibles or anything else for that matter. So until next time, as they say in Hollywood, Ciao. You have no way of knowing who'll make Maybe you'll be another Papa Dion. Your name and me on. If you get lucky, you could. Yes, buddy, you'll arrive if you can top his five. Hooray for Hollywood.